This is Coda Radio, episode 197. Wow. For March 21st, 2016. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and sitting over there, perched on the edge of his seat, like he's been reviewing a keynote, why yes, folks, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello there, Michael. Yeah, in truth, I fell asleep, but... <laughs> now, uh... For those of you that don't know, Mike and I both just wrapped up the uh, Apple live event, March live event, where they announced the uh, iPhone SE, iPad Pro 9.7 inch, and iOS 9.3. Uh, and uh, it was interesting. You know what? I, I, I'm I curious. Did you find anything noteworthy worth discussion here on this show? It, from it? It, was, it was boring, I think, is the word you're looking for. Yeah. I'm wondering if you caught the more interesting aspect of it. Then I found something to be more interesting than any of their product announcements, and that was eighty uh, percent. I thought that was something relevant to the show. But go ahead. I, the the part that I thought was pretty interesting is uh, less than three minutes into the keynote, Tim Cook begins talking about Apple versus the DOJ and FBI. Right, and they do a pretty good job of not really making a big stink about it. Just sort of saying this is what we feel our position is and why it's justified. And thanks for your support. And then they did something really brilliant, as if to as if to say, "Look, and this is why you need encryption." Without actually having to say it, they then went into health and research kit and all of this really private, important information that is helping like diabetics and people with Parkinson's. That they, you know, these are the different people they featured in the videos, uh, and they're like, "Look at all of this important." information doctors are collecting and now with research kit which will be open source in the near future a whole new generation of of diagnostic applications will be created oh and they showed a child with autism getting real-time facial recognition to videos that it was watching uh and this was if if not to say this is the entire reason we are fighting the encryption battle but they didn't actually like put it up as a bullet point which is really the brilliant stroke here they didn't just say oh this is this is why they they put the dots out there and they let you the audience connect the dots to say oh this is the, the, the they just get they finish talking about encryption and they talk about your health data you connect the dots because it's an easy association to make then you come to the conclusion oh this is why encryption is important because that's your own inclu- conclusion they didn't tell you that you're much more likely to internalize it and and it was a brilliant stroke of of PR and theater in one where they set out what the big bad guy is and then they then they went on to talk about how Apple is saving the earth with environmental uh, initiatives and then is putting health uh, your health information on the phone which justifies encryption and they totally made themselves coming out looking like a squeaky clean good guy 93% renewable energy usage they showed rooftops full of solar panels uh, they talked about hydroelectricity all across the board all of their initiatives and efforts they went in to talk about recyclable packaging for their products all of this stuff right just to demonstrate what a good guy Apple is legitimately stuff they are doing too so why not brag about it but it was such a beautiful piece of constructed storytelling and that was the most interesting thing i got out of the keynote not so much the devices and them ripping off uh flux yeah i mean you know i i don't happen to disagree with them on their fbi thing so that's not a huge deal to me um i just don't know that as a developer there was anything really super surprising in this event uh, no, yeah, I think they may, they like, they reinforced yeah. the iOS ecosystem. You know, they I think that I think that's a nice iPad they released, and yeah. uh, it's a little expensive, but that's that's par for the course well, for Apple. Don't upgrade their iPads. Well, I actually think that's about to start changing. I think with the pencil, I think the pencil is a selling point. But yeah, you know, as a developer, the only thing that really caught my eye, which don't get me wrong, I still think the pencil's super cool, but um, was that the Apple Watch got lowered in price. Yeah, I was almost wondering: is that either because it's not selling well, mm-hmm. 
or or is this now an opportunity where more of them are going to sell and it's going to be a bigger opportunity for independent developers? I tend to think it's the former um, because, you know, outside of New York City, I just don't see a lot of them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've begun to see more, but you're right. I, I, I tend to think it's probably sales-related, uh, and yeah. they want to kick that up a notch. And also, you know, they legitimately have had a year of manufacturing, so their cost of goods is coming down. So they can they can, they can can take some savings there. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's – I think it's – you're kind of right. Uh, I think you're mostly right. It is sort of not much to be said, not much for us to talk about. So not really much for us to dig into there this week, and that's not really what we're gathered here today to talk about. Uh, in fact, I kind of just had a sense, you know. That's why we didn't really bother making it like you know a special edition of the show. Doing a live show, yeah. It, yeah. it, it, it didn't look like there was anything big, and you know, it it, it was very thoroughly leaked. Um, if you know, if you read the Verge, Recode, Mac Rumors, or any of those sites for the last couple of weeks, you knew exactly what you were getting. I think, though, I agree with Action uh, in the chat room. Um, I I have not been completely on board with the large screen trend. Right. I have. Uh, I've tried the Note. I've had the Nexus 5. I've had uh, a couple of different phones. And now, right now, my current phone is the 6S Plus, which is a large phone. Which is huge, yeah. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the optical image stabilization, I'd be pretty tempted by a smaller phone. I, I prefer a smaller phone that fits in my pocket better. Yeah, but again, right? I mean, sh- I also like a slightly smaller phone. But, you know, nothing in this event, like there's no new type or new area of software development or area of product or customer that you can hit based on anything Apple released in this event today, right? There's no, you know, start your development, which maybe that's not what it is. Maybe that's WWDC. Like, I I was really hoping to see some kind of, you know, something on the Mac side, some kind of Mac laptop evolution, which again, maybe (laughs) WWDC, kind of the MacBook Pro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, X-Men points out, and he might be right, you might be a little far off mic or something, because sometimes you're fading a bit. Am I fading now? It could be Skype. Actually, you sound a lot better. I was, okay, I was I thinking it might have been a Skype. It might have been Skype kind of fading it out, but no, you, now you sound good. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't expecting much there on the hardware front either. Yeah. Um, which I mean, listen, if you have an old iPad and you like your iPad, there has never been a better iPad to buy, right? Um, that that six hundred dollar, uh, which still is a lot, but that six hundred dollar nine point seven inch iPad is great. And now that you can use the pencil with it, you know, if you have kids, whatever, that's cool. Or if you're a designer, but beyond that, I don't. I don't know. I, I guess like when the iPad Pro was first launched, the large one, I could see some sort of opportunity to build software differently and different types of software that I couldn't have built before. Where all of these devices, well, I think they're nice upgrades. I like I like the uh, smaller iPhone. To me, the best looking iPhone was the 5S. Mm-hmm. I just like the form factor better. Um, you know, honestly, I'm a little disappointed because I did buy the iPad Pro. I wish I had waited and gotten this smaller version. I was wondering about that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have a $900 TV sitting next to me. <laughs> yeah, is that pretty so, much you, you pretty much use the iPad for TV? <laughs> I mean, I'm doing, I'm, I, I, I played some Skunksworks development on it, you know, with the pencil stuff, but one of the issues I'm having is I, I'm super busy now. Um, you know, I, I literally just started uh, another gig, a big gig today. or So it's like... How the hell do I find time to build what I really think is a large-scale application for the iPad Pro? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been doing a ton of work on Android, and I still have like one Android app half finished that I'm trying that I wanted to ship before Easter. It sounds stupid, but I I think a great application that's going to come out for the iPad Pros now for the both of them is uh, some sort of real-time video capture and editing. There might be something like this for iOS. I haven't really looked, but if there was a way to really make video editing enjoyable. You have a really high-resolution 4K camera built into the iPad Pro now. So it would seem reasonable, you know, that most people don't have a computer powerful enough to edit 4K video. So if there was some sort of great app that, would, that, could, that could take advantage of the hardware in the iPad Pro and just bring the camera footage directly in and from your library and maybe from, like, the USB uh, importer, that'd be a really cool iPad app. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of that, especially with the Pencil you know, you could really see some. You could really see some interesting UI stuff for like adjusting audio levels with the pencil, uh, getting really in there and tweaking it. I mean, I would just, I'd love to see something like that. Well, there you go. Somebody in the X Men just linked in the chat room from Stuff.TV, ten of the best video editing apps for iPhone. Okay, iPad and Windows Eight. Yeah, I don't know. 
It seems like if somebody did something, there could be a dedicated app for that for the iPad Pro. Yeah, more of kind of the prosumer, um, almost like a not obviously cloning GarageBand because that already exists, but something that kind of caliber of product, right? Where it's it's a pro product, but it's not super high end. You're not charging two hundred dollars a license, right? Yeah, but again, those are you know that's a, that's a big endeavor. Hmm. Well, Mr. Dominic, okay. Any other closing thoughts on Apple's event today or any other things that they talked about? No, I really don't have much on the event. Again, not nothing spectacular. But. Yeah. Yeah. A bit of a snoozer, but uh, that's yeah. okay. All right. Well, so there's one thing I thought maybe we'd just warm up on today before we get into the main stuff, and that is uh, – I don't know what to make of this. So let's just take this as it is and talk about it real quick. And that is, uh, you know, Stack Overflow does these developer surveys. And uh, their developer survey results for 2016 are out. And uh, they had 50,000 developers share information. So uh, they had 56,000 uh, in 173 countries. And they asked 45 questions. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, they wanted to know things like what OS are you using? What tools are you using? What's, you know, you, are you, uh, what, what do you consider yourself full stack developer, web developer, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, so 28% said they were full stack web developers, 12% were back end. 11 were students, only 8% identified as mobile developers, yeah. and only 5.8 as front-end, which I thought was kind of interesting. Web is huge here. JavaScript just dominates with 85% of the results. SQL, interestingly enough, 58%. Then C-sharp at 37 PHP, your buddy, 35%. Java, way down the list, at 30%. Mm. Mm. Now, programmers, developers, engineers, some people, uh, you know, they, they, people identify as different things. Developer was 71%. But what's this crap? 9.8% identified as a ninja? 7.4% identified as a rock star? Really? Are we still doing that? Well, Chris, uh, you never see the 9.8% coming. <laughs> They're there in the ceiling tiles. In fact, you know, the ceiling tile here is a little ajar. I'm always worried that a shuriken is going to come down. Right, right. And then all of a sudden, boom, a whole bunch of C-sharp all over the place. Oh. Uh, yeah, I, so, then they, so then they tried to break it down between the rock stars and ninjas. Uh, and and you also have the rock star group. They self-identify 19.2% as growth hackers. I don't know what that means. Yeah, then uh, 16% are executives, 10% are graphics programmers. I don't even know what the hell that means. Oh, I know. Oh, growth. Oh, they're the crazy biz dev guys for startups. Okay, that's what I thought. So most of them are in their 20s. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, then the 30s, and then it drops off uh, significantly from there. Uh, uh, United States average age uh, of a thirty of a rock star is 32 years old. So it's a little higher than I expected. Maybe they're on the they're on the uh, the tail end. Classic rock. Two to five years is the average experience. Star Wars versus Star Trek. Apparently, Star Wars is pulling way ahead. Of course, only fair when it's been in the in the movie theater. Yeah. Uh, men, uh, fifty or I'm sorry, ninety two point eight percent of respondents, females yep. five point eight, other zero point five. Prefer not to disclose one percent. Designers are pretty hot. This is all really interesting, but uh, experience by gender, experience by age, et cetera, et cetera, breaks it all down. But education, self-taught, is the number one, 69%. The numbers, though, that I thought were interesting, online courses, the technologies as they change throughout the year. JavaScript is always at the top, going all the way back to 2013. However, so check out Java. Java. I was going to say, Java has not... Held it, held no, forty two point five percent in twenty thirteen, and by by fast forward to twenty sixteen, it's down to thirty six percent. So it goes from forty two to thirty six. Your buddy PHP though, dude, pretty much stay. It's it's dropped a bit, but pretty much stays even, Steven, <laughs> the whole time. Damn it's it. like if you're using PHP, you're pretty much set. You're done. Uh, Objective C, way down on the list, which Makes I thought. Sense. Well, Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, okay, but I actually thought it didn't because you know these are Stack Overflow. Respondents, so I thought, well, that sounds like a bunch of iOS users to me. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> but, a bunch of .NET web developers. Yeah, yeah. apparently it is, for sure. Yeah. Uh, most loved? Rust, 79%. Swift at 72%. Wow. Sick bastards. Swift just goes from, like... Zero to... Yeah, yeah. And then most dreaded, Visual Basic, followed by WordPress. <laughs> As a technology stack. Yeah, JavaScript is a top technology. Uh, but there was a stat in here that I thought was fascinating about uh, um, about the Mac desktop and the Linux desktop. Cloud, apparently, in the cl- if that's your occupation, something in the cloud pays for it fairly well. And then, you know, for straight-up development, C-sharp, JavaScript. Um, so, 
what what do you think this represents, right? Because to me, the most interesting aspect of this data was how just Java's getting. I mean, thirty yeah. something percent is still significant of the total market, but it seems it's you know, lost two, significant ground every year. It's, it loses ground every year, and it does. It's just for some reason the Java community, the Java development. It's just a losing mindshare, right? Something other than Android development. Well, and, and I, you know, I, I got I got to wonder if ever since Oracle bought Sun, if there's just not really a vibrant um, company out there promoting it with some attitude. And and you know, Sun used to be a great advocate for Java. Is Oracle really an advocate, or are they just sort of did they just sort of inherit a whole bunch of technical debt that they just seem begrudgingly updating? I can't tell because I'm not as very closely connected. All right. But, well, I mean, you know, C sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. it it would seem that people are moving in, right? The uh, the vultures are circling, and you look at Apple open sourcing Swift, Microsoft open sourcing C sharp. There, no, when they see, so that's interesting. So you th- you what I was going to say is even like local community or even just up in NYC, there is now where I'm getting invites to like C sharp meetings, like C really? drinks, like after, and I don't know if that's because of Xamarin or because Well, of, remember when we talked about Xamarin and Microsoft buying them, they were working, they were doubling down on a whole bunch of local events. And remember it was like, they're going to the local, they're going to the uh, black matter developers. That's how you reach them, right? Is you go to these small micro events and you do little community things and meetups and stuff like that. See, I was going to make the opposite case. See what I think I'm seeing, And I of course could be wrong. Um, is that C sharp is now becoming weirdly cool again, right? It's it's somehow becoming trendy again, and Java is now the dark matter, totally you know hmm. in a cubicle developer language. Probably a little bit of both, I would imagine. I mean, I would, I would, I only thing I don't agree with that is that C sharp isn't also a, a dark matter developer development tool. I mean, yeah, I, I I don't understand. I mean, I like both languages. I prefer Java, but that's because I don't want to run Windows, um, which I know JetBrains has a tool that's coming out that will fix that, but I, I don't understand. I, there, there were two things here that hurt. One, that people still use PHP. That's just a bonus thing. It just makes me cry every night. Every night, tear teardrops on my guitar. You know the drill. Yes. But also that, really, guys? It's been two years, and you're all in love with Swift? Yeah, I know, right? I know. Yeah, oh yeah, big time, all in. Well, uh, you know what? I my reaction was was really how much Windows? How much Windows really? Uh, Windows seven, twenty two percent of respondents. Windows ten, twenty percent of respondents. Right, but, Windows but, eight, eight percent. Right. So, so this is the other point we should make. Stack Overflow is kind of a self selecting set. Yeah, this is where I was going. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't think in the last three years I've run into a developer running Windows. Yeah, I and my my experience is conferences, and they're not all specifically Linux conferences that I go to. Uh, some of them are just general industry conferences, and it's still uh, the where I legitimately see Windows typically is on Dells or ThinkPads that are work issued laptops. Uh, but even then, that's not always the case anymore. But that's where I see a lot of uh, you know work gives me this laptop, it runs Windows, um, and that. Other than that, I don't see I don't see a ton of it. And it just occurred to me that I literally talked to a Windows developer last week. But that aside. But he was using a Mac. No. <laughs> he also had a Mac. That, that, that aside, it, it, not, I, again, it's okay to use Windows, right? I'm not Chris Fisher. I'm not going to just wildly attack you for using Windows. But hey, no, I mean, it, it, there is such a disconnect between this survey in terms of like development platform that people are say that they're using and what I see on any given year um with the exception of course of everybody chugging the swift kool-aid like it's going out of style mm, which, strawberry listen, apple mm. I, I begrudgingly will use swift now <gasps> but that's not new what but, what no come on now oh wait i i don't think it's better yeah I, i'm pretty confident that it's not better in terms of it's, it's not necessarily worse, but you have all this history of Objective-C that you can tap into. Yes, yeah, very much so. Yeah, you know, Mike, uh, Dark yeah. Matter Dev, before it goes off the screen, he's talking about how he has a Windows laptop at work and he uses uh, a VM. He got them to install Linux, and now he, but he still has a VM to do 
uh, .NET development under Windows. And it, it struck me, I actually have heard a lot of the reverse, a lot of guys that are running Windows and then they have VMs that run, they run Ubuntu inside of. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a mix. There's, it, it's, it's everybody's got a bunch of tools. Almost everybody's dipping their toes in it, a little bit of everything. Uh, yeah, so you're right. It is a, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's a self-selecting uh, market, and depending on what area of the market you're working in, you're gonna your results will vary a lot. Well, it, it is important, though. Like as as uh, the anime in the chat room is saying about no, Notepad plus plus. Yeah, uh, which way is, up there in the, <laughs> you know, the popular Windows uh, text editor. Is it an IDE? Not really, right? No, it's, it's a text editor. And then Visual like Studio is number two. Supporting. There is a giant percentage of people out there still doing line of business Windows like Visual Basic, C Sharp. Uh, you know, Windows form type applications, MCF or whatever. So, MFC, sorry. E. Yeah, and a lot of them like Stack Overflow, right? You know, you note know that Visual Basic was the most hated. You know, I, I want to know how many people actually have used Visual Basic, or do they hate it because it's the right answer to? I it? think no. I think these guys, are the people answering these surveys, are the very people that are using Visual. That is true. They probably. <laughs> And Access. Where was Access? Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's SQL on there, Access. Let's, the problem is that would own the whole board. What about MS SQL on Ubuntu or Debian? I do agree. Oh. Shout, out, shout out to Sublime Text for at least getting slot number three. Yeah, well, one of our favorites. Sublime Text 3 it would be great. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Mr. Dog. Well, before we jump into one of our Hoopla items for the day, I want to mention DigitalOcean. And I'd like to invite all of you to go over to DigitalOcean and use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. That's one word, lowercase, and you'll get a $10 credit. DigitalOcean is a really simple, straightforward, dedicated hosting provider where you will find it is unbelievably fast and simple to set up a Linux rig or a FreeBSD rig in seconds. Pricing starts at only $5 a month. And not only is the interface really easy to use, but it's extremely powerful. So if you are an experienced system administrator or a total noob, it will work for you. And that is a very hard line for a company to actually be able to walk in their interface. Not to mention, let's be honest, in a web UI. And they've nailed it. On top of that, they have a straightforward API. You can use that in any way you see forward to, like, for example, snap it into your existing management infrastructure and spin up a DigitalOcean droplet on demand when you need to scale. Or make sure that it matches the configuration of your other systems. They have libraries to make it work with Python and PHP and Perl, existing already, written by the community. In fact, there's lots of open source code that already takes advantage of the API that you could probably just go take advantage of. And you can see some examples of some of the things people do. We've got notes into the show about folks that are integrating even down to the package management level to take advantage of the DigitalOcean snapshots and backups. It's really slick, all the things you can do. And they've got data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, and Germany. So go try them out. For $5 a month, you get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20-gigabyte SSD. They have all SSDs, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And if you don't even need them for a month, I love their hourly pricing. For $0.03 an hour... You can get a rig with 2 gigabytes of RAM, a 2-core processor, 40 gigabytes of SSD storage, and 3 terabytes of transfer for $0.03 cents an hour. In fact, if you look at like $0.06 cents an hour, 4 gigabytes, 2 cores, 60 gigabyte SSD, 4 terabyte of transfer. The pricing is very straightforward. It makes sense. The structure makes sense. Lots of good documentation, an incredible resource for documentation, one of the best now. Just go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CoderDigital, all one word. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Can I fall, by the way? Yes, sir. I have a bone to pick with DigitalOcean. Yeah, pick away. Is it, like okay. a, is it like a wish bone? Is it like a chicken bone? What kind of bone is it? Well, I think I have the record for creating and destroying dinos at speed this weekend. <laughs> I don't think they, they don't call them dinos. They call them droplets. Not dinos, droplets. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was dealing with uh, with Heroku over the weekend. Mm-hmm, as well. I, mm-hmm. I yeah, you got the you got the Heroku uh, well, lingo. So Heroku would like me to pay them, and uh, yeah, I've noticed they like that. They're much more expensive than DigitalOcean. Yeah, they are. So I was literally trying to move over my Heroku install from Dio, but this isn't our topic today. But do you know what I did, Chris? What's that? I uh turns out some of my legacy stuff there isn't exactly Heroku or Heroku agnostic, we should say. Hmm. Mm. A couple optimizations for Heroku don't make sense. Hmm. Mm. Had to change that. Had so to you could just make a few tweaks, you're saying? Uh, yeah, you're not supposed to optimize for Heroku, right? Yeah. 
So what I did wasn't great. But oh. I, I had to undo what I did. But anyway, so basically, <laughs> I, it took me a while to realize that. And I kept, like, creating dinos and destroying dinos and creating dinos, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I do so, like the term dino. Yes, dinos. It, dinos on Heroku, droplets on DigitalOcean. And what was happening is I couldn't figure out. I push it to uh, Heroku, and it works. I push it to Do with Doku, and it doesn't work. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Right. And it was something stupid because, you know, that's the way we roll. I, I like the visualization of droplets, though, because it makes up the DigitalOcean. Well, I, I thought, like, Dino was a samurai lord of some kind. I thought, so. I thought it was a, a purple dinosaur that people love. Nice. Yeah, dinosaurs. Ah, okay. So there was a story that came across my radar this past week, Mike, that I had to run past you because I thought if anybody would have commentary on this, at least on the broader perspective, it might be our very own Michael Dominic. You know how much we all love taxes. A New York bill would provide a tax credit for open source contributions. What do you think, Mike? A bill to provide a tax credit. For open I think source. It's, it's time to hop on the NJ Coast line up to Penn Station, baby. <laughs> yeah, would, awesome. is this something you'd like to see move around? You know, uh, sort of make its rounds around the U.S. Maybe it could catch on. I think that would be great. I think it would be a nightmare for them to you know deal with and enforce. But yeah, I, I did see this article as well. I it's an interesting idea. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would almost rather it be pure like BSD open source only. No no contributor agreements, nothing like that, right? So here is something that, for this one, I'm not so hot on. Okay, so just okay. the details. It's co-sponsored by two representatives, uh, both Democrats, one from the 26th, one from the 36th. Uh, they would provide a tax credit of 20% of expenses associated with the development of open source and free software. 20%. Up to two hundred bucks. Up right? to two hundred bucks. Yeah, that. <laughs> up to t- so it, it, it's fairly trivial. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But- you know. It's an interesting idea, though, I thought. Uh, okay, so there is a story that I wasn't sure if you want to touch on or not, but it's something you and I have tried to sort of put into words several times, and it's a trend that was just sort of been declining uh, over a period of time. And Renee Ritchie over at iMore has a write-up about yes. the thing that no indie developer wants to hear about the App Store. Uh, and he makes an analogy that I wanted to run past you. There's a whole bunch, of course, he talks about profits and the blame game about, you know, uh, whoa, hi there, hi, hi there, hello, hi, woo, 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 hi, hi, woo. <laughs> I don't know if you could, there you go, OKDE. Uh, he makes a good point about, uh, you know, how certain developers don't want to raise a stink because of their position, but then he makes an analogy to wooden toys, and I thought this was interesting, and, I, and I'm, Wooden toys in the age of plastic. When I was a child, Renee writes, all of my favorite toys were wooden, painstakingly carved by artisans who ran the store near my home. I cherish them. Today, those kinds of toys are all but gone, and that business model is no longer viable in the mass market. In the age of Toys R Us and the endless plastic Legos and Hasbro toys, indie toy making has all but disappeared from the mainstream. So have many music and bookshops in the face of Amazon and mom and pop shops in the shadow of Walmart. Customers, by and large, decided we'd rather have an endless supply of cheap rather than we would have a few precious pieces, and the market has followed. To them, the mainstreaming, and he's talking about developers, to them, the mainstreaming of computing technology has led to a similar mainstreaming of apps. When only a few could afford Macs, software was held in high value and esteem. Now there are millions of apps on millions of phones and tablets made by millions of developers. Accessibility is near-universal, and scarcity is a thing of the past. The value and esteem are gone. Do you think this is the fundamental problem? Is that we are just in a transition of mass, since now there are mass consumers with iPhones and Android devices in their pockets, that uh, is just like it's the same equivalent as plastic toys versus wooden hand carved toys? Is this an apt analogy, do you think? Um, I, I think it's definitely a point, you know, I, I go th- go through the rest of his points. I think that is a very that is one thing that has happened. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he yeah. says uh, he talks about how much he loves his indie apps. They dominate all of his home screens. And I, you know, where's my phone? At? I don't know if my phone, I don't think my phone's down here. But I, I would actually tend to agree. My phone is mostly all indie apps on the home screen as well. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but uh, he says, but how many of them have my have my family even heard of? How many of my non tech enthusiast friends? How many have yours? Uh, big apps get all of the attention these days. Just. Uh, just like big movies, big music, or book releases, 
or big toy releases, and indies get just what little is left when there's even if there's even a little left. The app store is a big business, and that's just how big business works. Uh, that's a pretty good point. Uh, he talks also about the capricious and often maddening review process and lack of attention really did chill innovation. Uh, and part of the problem for Google Play has been over the last decade and a half of relatively lax approval policies. You see year after year uh, that they tend to have less groundbreaking apps. Uh, he puts it as Google Play isn't full of universe-denting mobile software that the iPhone and iPad owners simply can or, can or can't get. Uh, I guess I take a, my main takeaway from him is I think Renee's main point is the era of indie developers is just sort of fading away. And you can say, well, it's because some developers get more attention or you can say it's because some apps have better marketing. But the reality is app stores are just a big business now. They're, they're Walmarts. Well, I, I think it's – you could say all of the above, right? You know, we have a saying around here. We call it the gold rush, right, which is a very common way to call it. The app store gold rush is over. And this is something I tell people if they come to me and want to talk, hey, you do apps, right? Can you build me an app? There's a couple of things that are probably true. One, do you have a marketing budget? Two, you have to, well, there's a lot of things, actually. I think it's silly to say that the app store is fair. It's like any other store where people with relationships will do better. And people can be defined the way the Supreme Court does as corporations. I.e., if uh, HBO releases an app, you bet it will be featured. Sure. Because that looks good for the platform vendor. And, and right. by the way, Apple isn't alone in this. Google's... I would even say Google is actually worse because they don't cycle their app store as much as Apple does. Um, what that means in, in reality is you can't be relying on people to happen upon your app in the app store. I agree. The, you know, all of these things are bad. I think Renee is completely right. But there's one very simple kind of like retail pricing concept. It's called you can't unrate, you can't unlower the price, right? Or the actual quote is, you can't unring the bell. So once you label a product as low low value by pricing it low, and by the way, this goes for if you're selling consulting services or you're selling anything, and this is something I learned very much the hard way in the past, is once you start giving discounts or comping time or giving freebies or you know giving away your app for 99 cents trying to make it on, on volume, you will have set a pattern of behavior there. Or the opposite, or your counterparty, right? So the customer, client, employee, whatever, employer, whatever, will now expect that to be normal. For instance, if you often do yes. sales on your products, people aren't going to buy your product. But wait for the sale. sale. Yep. Right. And I hate to say it, I do it on iTunes. If I'm going to buy a movie, I won't buy it until it's on sale. Um, and you know what? I tend to be right. If I wait three months, I'll get. I got Spectre for nine dollars instead of twenty. Yeah. Because I waited two months. Um. You know, and, and this goes double for consulting, right? Like I, and in the past, I've even done this. Uh, oh, you know what? I underestimated that, so I'm going to comp some of the time. Well, you can do that once, but you have to make sure it's only like a one kind of transactional thing. Um, because once you do it, it becomes a normal lever that people can pull. Same thing for your app, right? If you're selling an app and you value it at $10 a license, let's say. Okay. But then, you know, this one week, maybe it's Christmas week, you lower it to a dollar. Well, guess what? There's a whole bunch of people who are not going to want to buy it again until there's another sale. Because you will have signaled that the true value of this is a dollar. Yeah, you see this, like Rikai's pointing out in the chat room, you see this on Steam all the time. Right. And I hate to say it, I do this to people on Steam all the time. Yeah, I, sure. I will not pay more than like five bucks for a game on Steam. You know there's going to be a crazy sale at some point. Right, because I know I don't have to, or I just wait till June or July and everything's on sale, and I'll just, you know, really save 100 bucks and buy anything I want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, like the uh, Christmas sale sometimes is crazy. Right. I think that, in fact, Steam's a great analogy, because Steam encourages it, right? They encourage twice a year for you to cut your prices in half, basically. Um, Apple, for a long time, was encouraging commoditizing the software side, right? Commoditizing your apps, commoditizing your services. And... You know, you can't you can't reset customer expectations. The other aspect that I that I think Renee does a great job with is, you know, for little old Jupiter Broadcasting to launch an app, 
there has to be a sustainable revenue plan. It probably can't go more than like 60 days without being sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. For Google to do the same thing, it doesn't need to be sustainable at all. Ever. Right. It can just be another funnel into the Google sales pitch. Same same for all of the big platform vendors. Right. Right. Google's just an example. I'm not. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Think about Amazon. How many crappy things, really, how many bad software products and, frankly, hardware products has Amazon launched only as a way to maybe kind of sort of funnel you into the Amazon Prime and the Amazon Video and Amazon Underground. And my God, they have a lot of ecosystems. Yeah. Like, and for them, it's just a marketing expense, right? It is a line item in, in their marketing manager spreadsheet. For you, investing $20,000 in developing an app, in most cases, is, is a significant kind of risky thing. Bet the farm. Right. And if it's 20000 to develop, it's probably, you know... 30,000 to market um, unless you're really good about targeting a specific What about what about uh, what about as the general population increases that also means you're going to have more and more people who are picky who do want the artisan product that want to eat organic right or, or gluten free or small batch and uh, a lot of them might be inclined to seek out the more esoteric products don't you think that's when you have such a huge market of uh, – they said today in their keynote, a billion devices. When you have a market of a billion devices, just looking – at ju- and that's just one market, right? It's not even counting the Android devices, which is way more than a billion. Uh, it's got to be, right? I mean there's, there's just so many Android devices. And I, I, I just look at that and I think to myself, there's got to be a niche within a niche within a niche that is still large enough – to be revenue sustainable for somebody if they can find them just right. And maybe that's through certain blogs or through, through certain podcasts. And you reach that audience, which right, is now getting large enough, and it's an alternative no. audience. Listen, I buy a $40 bottle of bourbon. There are people who buy $300 bottles of bourbon, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, that exists. But let, let's – because I know many of our listeners are actually more on the consulting side. We keep getting that email. And it's something I do, right, and have done for a long time. There were – Chris, there were prospects, you know, potential clients in the past who really valued that uh, that I was always 100% U.S. based, right? That unfortunately, they were like five percent of the potential leads I got in. Mm. So for the other 95 percent, I'm I was effectively priced out, and you know our prices weren't high. I just want to throw that out there, right? We weren't thoughtbot charging you, you know, 150, 200 bucks an hour for design consultation. Um, I think it's the market exists, but now if you're targeting a high end, because really what, you, what you're arguing is, well, don't don't be Walmart, be Neiman Marcus, right? Yeah, or, don't be Starbucks, right, be the be, be, be Chanel, basically. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I love women's fashion. Let me tell you, <laughs> I I got this dress yesterday. Oh, um, fabulous! In fact, I got a black uh, stand for my laptop. And let me tell you, it fits like a little black dress on my MacBook. Here. <laughs> and I can't wait to get get an XPS in it. Oh. But uh, my, my, my point is this. You can't just say, I'm going to raise my prices, therefore I'm high end. Because, you know, particularly in the consulting business, and I would even argue in the product business, high end actually is expensive to be. It, responsive doesn't mean your, your little web application for the client works on screen sizes, it means whenever the hell they call, a physical person answers the phone. And it's a person who actually is educated enough on the technical issues that can tell them something, right? Same goes for customer service. Um, You know, I purposefully didn't charge a ton for backpoints. I didn't charge anything, actually. You can download it for free, but there's an upgrade. The reason for that was I wasn't going to hire someone to be customer support until I knew there was traction, right? Because, you know, minimum wage in New Jersey is like eight seventy five an hour. That someone fact checked me. That may be too low or too high. Um, and the license for the upgrade was five bucks a year. Do you see how the economics yeah. probably don't work there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it, it really you have to you have to really think about. You know, I, I was actually recently on a Google Hangout with a couple other like contract developers. And one guy says, well, if you want better clients, you know, he was talking to one of the other people in the group. Just go ahead and raise your prices. You know, uh, what, what are you at? X an hour? Oh, you can double that and just weed out bad clients, which is true. You will weed out 
what projects you shouldn't take. But here, here's what's going to happen too. If your firm or your product can't provide that top tier level of service, which you know, service isn't defined by how good your code is. Um, thank you. Uh, Eight thirty-eight is minimum wage in the yep. state of New Jersey. Okay, so I was being more generous. Um, you know, it's defined as: Do you remember the lady's, uh, you know, your client's husband's name when she calls and says, "Oh, my husband." You know, the little soft things about having a relationship with a customer, or a client, is is expensive. Frankly, it's it's really expensive, and if you're going for those high end customers, that's something you have to do. So to Chris's point, which I've just taken five minutes, taking him on a journey, um, absolutely you're right, it's possible. But I would say that of the people listening to this show, um, and, and in the general development population, I would say only 5 to 8% of those people actually have the competency or the financial backing to perform at that level. And it doesn't mean, if, you, if you're targeting, you know, Walmart still makes a ton of money, right? Uh, Macy's, which by the way, Macy's, let's keep using retail analogies because it's a business I weirdly know a lot about. You know what Macy's is doing, Chris? Hmm. They're going low end. They are purposefully devaluing their brand and going low end. Why? Because it's a pain in the ass to deal with rich people who want good service. It's so much better to be JCPenney's and just say, polo shirt's 10 bucks. Right. And there's a lot more people in that market, right, there's too. There's a lot more people. And guess what? Their expectations, because right, that's what it's all about. It's expectations are very uh, different. In, in, in the case sure. of JC Penny, sure. the penny shopper is lower. So, again, taking it back to an app, someone who just downloads your app for free has one set of expectations that are probably fairly low. Someone who just spent 20 bucks on your app, hell, let me give you an example. Code Journal was $5. I thought I sold someone a Cadillac, some of the feedback I got. <laughs> so, like, oh, it doesn't work on my Tiger, and I bought it somehow because I went to your, when, when I couldn't download it, I went to your website and bought it even though it says you know 10.10 required or whatever the version that was required um in bold and italics by the way i want my money back so of course you give the refund but even the act of dealing with that person has a cost yeah sure and any kind of nasty comments they're going to leave or any you know anything like that has a material cost mm-hmm. end of rant chris say something positive well mr dominic i will say this a, at least it gives people, if nothing else, a way to get their stuff out there and put in front of people and maybe be discovered. The one thing is uh, – one the one high high note I will say out of all of the software devaluation discussions we've had and, and, and which is also interesting to correlate to um, rate devaluation. But I, one thing I will say is at least it gives people a platform to actually get their stuff out there and one place for people to go find stuff. It's like the same reason I publish podcasts in iTunes is I'm not a huge fan of iTunes. Same with YouTube. Not a huge fan of YouTube. But you know what? Super easy for discovery. There's a large community on there. And for the, a lot of people out there, it works super good for their workflow. So how can I ignore that? And so you publish there. Uh, and it's a great way for people to find your stuff and discover it. So, yeah, I don't know. I find it to be uh, – I find it. I actually find it to be a very interesting, fascinating transition. Speaking of which, I heard out there, Mr. Dominic, that there is somebody out there searching for a remote JavaScript yeah. development contractor. Look at you looking at the IRC. Yes, so I, <laughs> I do need some help with a uh, with a little super secret side project that I've been working on, and I have recently become very, very busy. And you know, with the child coming, I'm going to be even busier. Mm, yeah, so okay. I, I'm looking for a. Now, this is not you know big money role. This is remote contracting so keep that in mind mm. uh someone who can do javascript is a big plus looking for basically just front-end web development and how should they reach you what would be the best way they can just uh you know what just email jobs at buccaneertech.com that'll work Pauskies. all right before we get into some interesting follow-up and uh, somebody's got a hard question for mike i'm going to mention linux academy second oh. sponsor here on the coder radio program linuxacademy.com slash coders that's where you go to keep us on the air and check out more about linux academy and get a discount you go there let them know you heard about it here and you get to learn more you get to see their pricing structure and then check out their tour page, where you'll find they have 2,344 videos where you can obtain experience as you need to learn and practice in lab servers that are provided by the Linux Academy to master the concepts. Seven distributions you can choose from. They'll automatically adjust the courseware and the virtual servers. Self-paced courses, availability planners when you have a tight schedule, scenario-based labs that put you in the middle of tasks common to everyday environments. Helps you build that confidence. Instructor mentoring is available. Instructor mentoring is available. And oh, hey! 
Instructor mentoring is available. That's a really big deal because this courseware is advanced. It's extremely technical. And let's be honest, most places that implement this stuff online, they don't really know this technology stack. So they're not really very good help. Linux Academy is established by Linux enthusiasts, experts, and educators and developers who wanted to come together and create the Linux Academy platform. Not only are they enthusiastic about the technology, but they know it inside and out. They've hired additional staff to keep their content relevant and up-to-date, which is super awesome. They have graded server exercises, which I think is super slick. They've got Android development courses, Amazon Web Services, PHP, Python. Hey, if you're going to do it, do it right. Ruby, of course, the whole DevOps stuff. And if you want to get in on the Red Hat, cert- Red Hat Certified Courseware, one of the most well-respected certifications in the industry. They have awesome courseware on that. So go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. They have a community stack full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. They have live events, in-depth resources, downloadable comprehensive study guides, enhanced learning plans that will help you learn and study in your available time. You can SSH into their servers. Oh, and did I mention they also have the OpenStack technology courseware? Check them out, linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. linuxacademy.com slash coders. All right, Mike, I don't know. Are you a barbecue fan? Do you do you barbecue on the East Coast? Is that a thing you guys do? A sweet barbecue on the East Coast. Do you own a barbecue, Mike? Do you have a did Be honest. It's okay I if you don't. A grill? Yeah, I have okay. a grill. I got a grill. Oh, sure. Well, let me introduce you to barbecue Linux then. All right, because but. this might you, you can get a little barbecue fix this way. Next oh, yeah. time you need to spin up a Linux rig super fast to do some Android development. Say, so, hey, you want to do some Android development? Maybe you want to launch the Dominic M uh, fork of CyanogenMod, Mod, Dominic Mod. Uh, uh, and you could check out Barbecue Linux was passed along uh, to the show. Oh, hold on, let me grab his name. Uh by uh. uh Malario, I think. I don't want to say malaria. I think it's by Malario. He sent in Barbecue Linux. It's uh, based on Arch, and it's a rolling release development distro. Out of the box, ready to go for Android developers. If you want to do something, you can use this. You can also use a bootable USB stick if you don't want to necessarily install it. They have live media available. Kind of neat as people who might be interested in Arch and Android development. Barbecue Linux. So next time you need to spin up a rig there. Okay, so I don't know how I don't know uh, what you did, Mike, but apparently <laughs> you said some s about React JS. Uh, oh, and did. look at this yeah. post. Look at this post uh, sent in by Har or or Hare, however you want to pronounce it. And uh, he boils down this extremely long post down to a question. I'm wondering what kind of experience you've had with React and Flux, Mike. Uh, could you expand a bit more on why you didn't like React, or maybe you sure. were talking about not only React, but the Flux pattern. Uh, do you have other experience, et cetera, et cetera? And personally, I'm getting more fascinated by Elam these days. Uh, huge, long yeah. post. He talks a lot about his experience. And I would say if you are interested in React and his thoughts and Flux implementations, I would go read the post. Yes. <clears throat> Sir, so, your thoughts on React in general? I still don't like React. But How dare you? Let, let, let's, so one, I'm writing a very lengthy blog post about this because goddamn hate mail. Let's just start and be honest. Did all the Rails crazies go over to React? Because <laughs> holy crap, now I know what Python developers felt Ooh, like. It's getting yeah. bombarded. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, this was a, a great email we got, but uh, goddamn Twitter. Yeah, yeah, he got you on Twitter, right? Did I don't it? think it was him. I think it was oh. a few other people. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, there are there are other people that have uh, been going after you on Twitter. That's yeah. uh, well, you know what? It's, it's, it, it, it could have been worse. You could have said something bad about Rust. Then you really would have been hearing about it. Oh, Rust is amazing. I got enough heat as it goes. Um, I'm going to pass on this question for today. I am writing a blog post about why I don't like <laughs> reactive programming. No, it, it, yeah. That's why. That's fair. This is apparently, I was wondering. I mean, I look at this post. This is a touchy topic. Apparently, you stepped in it. And yeah, so let, let, the problem is, is React, I'll, you know, I think what Mike is trying to say is React is just garbage. It's just awful trash, right, Mike? That's what you're trying to say. If you, you, you maybe maybe I'm getting it wrong. If you guys want to send in your feedback, alan at jupiterbroadcasting.com. So, okay, just, just real quick. <laughs> okay. Goddamn. I'm just joking. I'm just trying to stir the pot. Right, so, so Dark Matter Dev has it. For years, they said, don't put JavaScript in your HTML. Now it's, why aren't you putting HTML in your JavaScript? And it's not React.js particularly. And I think, I think part of it is I haven't been super elegant in stating my problem. 
it's the whole model of a re quote reactive programming, particularly reactive cocoa. But again, it's the it's the model, it's the concept of binding so much to your UI layer that I don't love. Mm-hmm. I think right? that's fair. Now, I question it because, again, for years, that was an anti-pattern, right? Stuff should not be happening in the UI. Um, you know, it, it is a... I will say that, unlike my deep, aggressive hatred of PHP, this is a little more nuanced. And... It is less of a you shouldn't be using React, but it's more of a and, and that's why I'm writing it up in an actual blog post and being very careful about how I phrase it. If all these things were bad, why are they all of a sudden good? <laughs> that it, it is not an argument. It, it you know, it's like a, it's one of those things where something changes. You're like, well, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. But remember, remember a couple of years ago when we were talking about? Well, hold on a second. What happened? <laughs> It's just totally, it's what happens sometimes. I mean, let's just real fast now, right? When MVC was coming, becoming super popular, right? And, and let's just take the more, MVC's been around for a long time, but let's just, you know, when the Rails people were lecturing the PHP guys about how much they suck, one of the reason, reasons was because PHP mixed your layers of code, right? You didn't separate your concerns, or a lot of PHP developers failed to separate their concerns, so Rails and many MVC platforms like it had MVC. You have your models, you have user controllers. You have different layers with different concerns. Mm. And, you know, some frameworks do it slightly differently. Java plays a little different. Uh, Cake PHP is a little different, whatever, right? Every, everybody has their own. Again, it's like reactive programming. React.js is an implementation of it. Reactive Cocoa is an implementation of it. They might be slightly different. My challenge, as someone who really likes MVC... Um, and is little skeptical on this reactive model and very skeptical of <laughs> MVVM, even though I do it when I do Xamarin work, is why was this thing that you would literally get failed on a code review several years ago and not be able to pass it through your manager or the senior person on your team? How did it become good? What happened? Mm-hmm. And, and if your argument, maybe there is an argument. Maybe it's, you know what, Mike? There are a lot more developers than there used to be. We don't have time. This is a budget thing. Because that seems to be the, the what I see as the real value here is that you can do something maybe a little faster, right? Because it's a little more. But again, faster for the initial 1.0 in my experience. And, and hey, I am not the smartest guy in the room, right? I, I've been wrong before. I will be wrong later. But in my experience, the cowboy shortcuts you take to do your 1.0 often means someone's going to come in and rewrite it for 2.0. So I, if I'm wrong, great. But I'm not trying to convince you not to look at React. You should look at everything that comes out as a way to educate yourself that, that say, that seems interesting, right? But if you've been taught something, if something has been successful for you for, you know, a decade, and then someone comes along and says, oh, you're old. That's terrible. This is better because it's better. I think it's it's proper to question them, right? It, it's proper to say, well, hang on because you're, you know, let me give you an example. You're driving on the highway. Speed limit says it's 65 miles per hour on the parkway. Great. Oh, but, you know, I'm going to go 85. Well, well, well we, we have this rule that says it's 65. Why are you breaking it? Now, the reason may be my wife just went into labor, right? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm taking a heart attack and I need to get to a hospital. <laughs> These are all awesome reasons that I, I am with you, pedal to the metal. Although in the heart attack case, you, you need to pull over. Trust me. Um, you're not going to be okay. Uh, in this case of, you know, React came out of nowhere. It seems like, right? And I, I really don't understand, and, and maybe this was sort of my problem with Node, although I've kind of come around on Node, <laughs> is that you came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden everybody's using you in production. Mm-hmm. That just seems wildly irresponsible to me. I'm sorry, but, you know, listen, I have an open mind. Right? I gave Xamarin a shot. I'm giving Xamarin another shot. I've shipped things in Xamarin. The point I keep making about Xamarin, is I should have been dispositionally set up to not like Xamarin. But you know what? After they got their act together, 
and thank God that Microsoft bought them, it seems like it's getting better. Same thing with Angular. First time I looked at Angular, I didn't really love it, but it, it didn't seem terrible. I waited for it to mature. I love Angular now. React, one, I don't think it's mature enough. Two, I haven't seen a compelling argument that says, we're going to break all these rules, we're going to do all these things that literally forever were bad, right? Like since 1970-whatever were not good, or that we learned in the 70s were bad ideas. But now it's different because we're calling it React and we have T-shirts and we have a conference and look how cool we are. Okay, I mean, more power to you. Build whatever you want, but I don't, I don't see it yet. And, and again, seriously, if, you, if you're a React fan, if you're shipping something in it, you know, instead of just like blasting me on Twitter or attacking anybody who questions you on Twitter, why don't you just send in an email and say, these are the reasons we picked React and if the reason is, hey, man, we have two weeks of run- runway and we need to get this done, okay. Or as, a, as someone in the chat is saying, I only need because you only need the first two layers of the application. Valid answer, right? It's the same reason, again, not, not to talk about Xamarin too much, but it's on my mind. Um, why are you using Xamarin Forms? Because my client had $2 in a package Juicy Fruit, and he can't afford a custom UI for each platform. Okay. Totally valid answer, because if you don't know, Xamarin Forms does a, like a one UI that goes across both platforms. But in most cases, Xamarin Forms is, is generally accepted to be terrible. Mm-hmm. But in your case, which is a budget constraint, it makes sense. So give me the case where React is the right tool for the job. Give, other than React is cool, and if I put React on my resume... Um, I'll get hired in Silicon Valley tomorrow without an interview, and they will give me a pony. That's all I'm asking. Coderadio.reddit.com. That's where we've Actually, submitted. that is a Chris at JupiterBroadcast.com. <laughs> hey, hey, okay, I do kind of deserve it since I stirred the pot earlier, I guess. Yeah, you, you pulled me out. You set me up. <laughs> Who, me? No, no, no. Get it out of here. No, never, never. All right, Mr. Dominic, is there any other topics we wanted to cover this week? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I almost pulled the trigger on an XPS 13, but I have you been tempted? I was, you know, it was in the shopping cart. In fact, they email me every day now and say, Hey, by the way, did you forget? I'm hoping and and Dell, if you're listening, close your ears. I'm hoping they like email me a coupon. I, uh, Hmm. Hmm. I wonder, you know, I, I haven't tried it. I like my XPS. Somebody in the somebody gave us the feedback. Oh, my God's sakes, get a Lenovo. I am not as bullish on Lenovo as everybody else seems to be. I guess I'm the one guy that has not been as impressed with Lenovo for the last few years. I've been like, okay, they have a couple of ThinkPad series, especially the older X models. But uh, the, only, the only thing I did get from somebody on Twitter was that the docs don't work on the developer edition. When I say XPS, I'm talking about the dev edition. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, I'm sure the doc doesn't work. But, you know, with Thunderbolt, down the road, it's not as necessary, really. I don't. How are the Thunderbolt drivers? Don't know. I mean, that's one of the things that Dell is actually working on. Is they are right. they are writing the drivers and sending them upstream. I don't know if they're in the shipping. They must be in the shipping version on there, but uh, they're upstreaming that code, so that's good. So it should be pretty pretty much plug and play. Yeah, the yoga. Uh, we have a yoga. It is nice. It is nice. Yeah, I hear good things. I, uh, what's the carbon? There's another Lenovo. Yes. Yeah, there's, they make good laptops. But the, the nice thing about that XP, I, I guess if you're going to use it for work, it's nice to buy it with Linux on there. So that way it's from the beginning. It's a sanctioned Linux machine. That's nice. Well, and, and, and I know this is stupid, but in the, uh, in the sales manager who undoubtedly has an Excel spreadsheet about which OSs are selling, I'd like to increment that Linux field by one if yeah. possible. Yeah, exactly. Which, which is kind of why the XPS. Although I hear it's like... This newest edition is one of the – even if you were looking at Windows laptops, one of the better machines on the yeah, market. Yeah, I would think so because if, I'm really pretty happy with mine. If they, just, if they just fixed and tweaked a few small things, you know, better processor in there, a little bit better graphics, which they have now, I'd be a lot happier. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close. I mean, Ooh, it's, it's, just, it's just hard to spend that much money. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially, especially when, uh, you know, the, the return isn't 100% clear. It's a little more difficult. In the meantime, find Mr. Dominic on the Twitter. You can go over there. Also, find them at Buccaneer.io. Don't forget jobs at Buccaneer.io if you might have met those at requirements. Buccaneer right? At Buccaneer Tech, right. Oh, what happened to Buccaneer.io? Oh, it's still there, but emails are only Buccaneer oh, Tech. Oh, 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 gotcha. Buccaneer Tech. Okay, good, good. Anywhere else we should send people throughout the week, Mr. Dominic? No, no. Or DominicM.com. I'll probably have There my, you go. 
indictment of React. If you get that blog post up, that's where that would be at. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris LIS. I changed that up this year to a newer Twitter, or last year, I guess, now. So go follow that at Jupiter Signal for the network, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the live show. Thanks for joining us. See you back here next week. Thank you.